Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. All right, another week, another TMR podcast. Uh, Ian, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, Mike. I'm not in your shoes. I don't have to travel out of state and pretty much head to the Canadian border, so I guess I consider myself pretty lucky. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be painful. I looked it up today, 415 miles to the hotel uh, in Buffalo, not even Buffalo, Niagara Falls, New York. I have to go to this weekend for a hockey tournament. Because there's not enough hockey teams. I don't, and, uh, Ian, I don't know if you know this. There's not enough hockey teams in the state of Massachusetts. You need to go to Niagara Falls, New York to to play any decent competition. Yeah, I guess, right? I mean, I'm just trying to think back right to when I was playing youth hockey. The furthest we ever traveled for a tournament for, whether it was myself or my sister when she was playing, was probably either Casco Bay, Maine, or Waterville Valley. We played in the uh, the Shamrock yeah. Shootout up in Casco Bay, and then it was like the Fe- February freeze or the March meltdown up yep. in Waterville Valley. We stayed at the Snowy Owl Inn. Oh, Water- we were, I like we Waterville. Were, Waterville's good. We were it's menaces. a nice little rink, and it's nice. It's perfect. Yeah, fi- go camping up uh, up there one, one weekend in August with, uh, nice. with family over the summertime, so it's a nice, nice. little area, right? found myself reminiscent walking back into that hockey rink a couple of years yeah. ago and I was like holy moly I can't believe how little this building has changed but <laughs> if it ain't broke don't fix it right nope it's funny I I looked at our schedule for this weekend and my 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 younger son who's uh is 11 years old and I looked at the schedule and I go the first team we're playing is in our league like it's a league it's a, an opponent in our league we, we play them a couple wait, wait, of weeks hold ago. on you're traveling to Buffalo to play a team that you play on a regular basis yes oh okay that's talk that, about that's another like wrinkle a, oh talk about a kick in the midsection i'm like we're driving the first, great we get like four four guaranteed games and then if you make the playoffs you, you play a fifth and maybe a sixth but it's like we're going out there to play a team that's in our division they're in our league <laughs> that's yeah that that's a little silly but hey yeah, you know what you're gonna try and get too. You gonna try and get to uh, Orchard Park while you're up there? I hear there's a pretty good football game going on there on uh, on Sunday. We'll see. What what time is that game on Sunday? Is it an afternoon game or a night game? Uh, you know? If you give me one moment here, I can pull it up. Uh, <laughs> NFL playoffs. Uh, I think the most interested matchup. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Sunday one o'clock. Sunday one o'clock. Um, I don't know. I'm, you're, well, you're hoping to be like, on the road. I'm hoping by Sunday at one o'clock, I'm on my way home. So I don't get home at like 2 a.m. But uh, the latest he could play on Sunday is 5 p.m. And I said, that would be Ooh. awful. That That's a nightmare because it's like, all right, 5 o'clock, 6.15 or so game ends. That's if they're on time. And then on the road by 6.30, home by 
one thirty, two a.m. Probably two thirty with a stop in there at one point. So yeah, I was that's the say, nightmare scenario. Yeah, I can't make that that drive all in one whack as much as you would like to think it. But yeah, I least, did it a couple of years ago. Stop and stretch, you know. I did it a couple of years ago. My family when uh, the Frozen Four was up in Buffalo. We uh, we stopped and stayed overnight in Utica, and then traveled the rest of the way up to Buffalo the following day. Yeah, we're doing a straight I, shot, but I'll probably stop a few times at least to get out. The, the ride back wasn't terrible because I don't know if you remember this. This was the year that the Masters had that really big storm. Oh and yeah! Instead of the eleven o'clock or the noontime you know, tea times going off. Like they teed off at like seven 30. So the entire ride home, I was just watching tiger win the masters for the first time since his injury on the way home from Buffalo on the frozen go. four. Good that's way. Awesome. Good way to pass time. That's all right. That's the last time I drove to Buffalo was for the frozen four. Um, but we'll see. I'm, I'm hoping, I mean, at least Sunday I'll have some NFL games to listen to on the way home. That'll pass the time tomorrow. Tomorrow I might be on the sports hub app on bill watch like everybody else is the last couple of days <laughs> yeah um bill watch and now i guess you gotta watch and see who's gonna become the new head coach down in tuscaloosa yeah talk about it bill there hard sabin out carol out bill, bill maybe out. should be out <laughs> it's like geez everything they're all falling but uh, one thing that's that's not falling is the merrimack men's basketball team how about that for a transition uh two and oh league play after starting last week with a win over Fairleigh Dickinson last Thursday and then a win over Sacred Heart on Saturday, uh, they, they've put themselves, I mean, we talked about it last week, like this is a good kind of prove-it weekend or indicator weekend of like where they fit in the league after a pretty good non-conference start. And two teams that were picked to be right up there with them near the top of the league, it certainly seems like, as we expected last week, that they will be one of those teams in the mix, if not the favorite. Yeah, I mean, I, I was there on Saturday and... Saw the saw the game against Sacred Heart. Good game, back and forth for the most part. Um, I, I I just think that what I've seen through two games and the handful of, of non conference games, this team should absolutely be the favorite to win the league going forward. Um, they've yet to lose at home this year. They're six and zero at home. Yes, I get a couple of those were against Division three teams in Worcester State and then Felician. You know, take those with a grain of salt. But they have a good home win uh, early in the year against a good UMass Lowell team who's going to compete in the America East. They had a win against Bucknell. Bucknell's a good program. They won by 16 in that game, 68-52. So that was a double-digit win. Um, they skated by against FDU on a Thursday night, first home uh, conference game of the year. And then they followed that up, and they, they almost won by, uh, what was the final, E258. So I'm trying to do quick math here. What's that, uh, 14 points, 24 points? 82, uh, 24 points. 24 points, okay. Yeah. So it was a little bit more of a blowout than it was um, early on. Um, Sacred Heart just, they, they were, they, they got a couple of guys out. Um, Nico Gallette led the way for Sacred Heart, 22 points, eight, eight rebounds. Um, but I think the big thing in this story was Merrimack's defense. Once again, surprising. We're talking about a Joe Gallo team and the Merrimack basketball team that's led on the defensive side. They forced 18 turnovers from Sacred Heart and that's the on game. their side of things. They won the turnover battle. They only turned the ball over 16 times. So you're plus two in the turnover category. And uh, that's huge. But uh, once again, we're talking about him. Jordan Durkak, another tremendous effort from him. 
27 points, seven rebounds, a couple of assists. Um, I thought the big thing that stood out for me was the way that Merrimack was moving the ball. Bud Clark, if you had to guess without looking up the numbers, and I'm not sure if you've already looked them up. I have not. How many uh, how many uh, assists do you think Bud Clark had on, on Sunday afternoon? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I, I did note it at one point, I'm sure. Um, seven or eight? Did he hit double Ten. figures? Ten? Ten. He had a double-double. Was that a double-double? Yep, 18, 18, 18, 10 points. Yeah, 10 points, 10 assists, double-double. There you um, go. So it was it was good. The ball movement was it, it was impressive to see on uh, on Saturday afternoon. Um, and I'm never going to complain about getting to sit courtside and uh, and watch Division One college basketball, no. just like I'll never complain sitting rinkside watching Division One college hockey. So, I don't blame you. Um, I, I was very impressed with with Merrimack on Saturday afternoon, and I absolutely believe that this team should be the favorite to once again finish not only high up in the conference, but also moving forward, be a favorite to win the league again. The stuff isn't always a, a perfect science, but Ken Palm has them uh, projected to win the league. They have Merrimack going 12 and 4 in the NEC. Uh, Central Connecticut. That's the big one they haven't played yet. Central Connecticut. They are projected to go eleven and five. Uh, Sacred Heart nine and seven. That's what the prediction or the projection is there. FDU seven and nine. So uh, Merrimack is the highest ranked team in Ken Palm in the NEC two thirty eight overall nationally. Uh, the next closest team, of course, Central Connecticut two fifty eight. So everybody else mostly in the three hundreds. Wagner's in there at two ninety eight. They're projected to go over five hundred at nine and seven. Um, so is Sacred Heart. Lemoyne's projected. Who, Lemoyne, who Merrimack will see next, um, projected to go eight and eight by Ken Palm. So Lemoyne and and Central Connecticut this this coming weekend. Yeah, so big weekend. Get them on and, Monday and a big game, obviously with Central. I mean, the Lemoyne game's a big one too, but Central seems to be the one where, at least from a analytical standpoint, they're both looked at to be right near the top. Of the NEC, Merrimack is the only team that has a top 100 anything in the NEC. Their defense, 91 in the nation. So it's about, about as good as you could expect. You know, I, I'm sure 2-0 in the conference, 8-8 eight eight overall. Considering who they played in their non-conference schedule, I mean, this is exactly what you would have hoped for, I think, if you're Merrimack. You get a couple stumbles in the non-conference schedule like we talked about, but uh, overall, a really good showing. And, and I think it goes to show you, too, that not to take any credit away from the players because the players ultimately are the ones that play the game, but as long as they continue to get good players, the system is good enough that they're going to keep winning games, you know, and that's no disrespect to Jordan minor or, or Ziggy Reed. I, I hate to be the guy that's like, Oh no, that quarterback's not good. He's a system quarterback. That's not what I'm saying. I just think that the system specifically, the defensive system here is in place where even with guys that are going to change out year to year, as long as they get guys that perform well in that system, they're going to be competitive year in and year out, even in the MAC. Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing too, right? When you're you're looking at it numbers wise, when you're turning a team over eighteen times, that's eighteen possessions they don't have a chance to put points up on the board. Yeah. So you're taking those eighteen possessions, and I'm just trying to see how many points off of turnovers they were. They were able to generate uh, points off. They had 17 points off of turnovers. So you're almost averaging a point per turnover when you take the way take the ball away from uh, from your opponent. It's it was great. I mean, and also too, we talked about it coming out of that BU game. How is this team going to respond at different points if 
if they don't come out of the gate and they don't start shooting the ball well. They struggled early on, but I mean, in the first half as a team, they shot 48% from the field, uh, 66% from the free throw line in the first half, going six of nine. Um, but the big thing, the three-point ball, they shot 52% from Ooh. downtown. And, and Gallo talked about it afterwards in the postgame when I, when I was chatting with him, and you had it in your, your write-up there. He was happy with how they were shooting the ball and how they were getting looks. But when you're playing Georgetowns and you're playing Florida and Cincinnati and you're going to some of these bigger power five schools, they have more size, they have more length, Way and it's going to be tougher. That's the to biggest get, thing. Way it's more gonna, size. Yeah, it's going to be tougher for you to get cleaner looks. But when you're, you know, when you're dishing the ball out and you have a guy like Bud Clark who's who's throwing out eight, uh, ten apples in a basketball game, it's like. You know the balls. The ball's going to find the open man at some point, and they had a chance, and they they made their opportunities count, shooting fifty two percent from downtown, including sixty percent in the second half. They were six of ten in the second half from downtown. So late in the game, when they needed buckets and they were trying to, you know, keep Sacred Heart at at bay, they were able to do so. Yeah, and Devin Savage, obviously a big part of that as far as three-point shooting goes. I don't know what his numbers were in this game, but just generally speaking, he takes the most three-point attempts and, and is probably their best overall shooter. Uh, believe it or not, Devin Savage was 6 of 13 from behind the three-point line. There you go. Durkak was 3 <laughs> for 3. Samba was 1 for 2. McCoy and Stinson each 1 for 3. And Armandas Plintakowskis was one for one from downtown when he came and laid off the bench. So um, a lot of contributions from guys all over the board. Um, It was, it was really impressive, but I I was, like we said, Durkak again, picks up NEC player of the week honors um, is third of the season in second week in a row that he's grabbed uh, a player of the week honor, or at least a co-player of the week honor um, from the league. So he continues to, lead the charge for this team and you know this team's gonna go as as far as he can uh lead the way looking ahead to kind of where would they fit in the mac that's where they'll be next year uh based off of current ratings and then ken palm ranks everybody in the nation one to 367 or whatever the heck it is 364 um so based on those you can kind of go to them and say well where would they kind of stack up in the mac right now and they're seventh if you look at, at the total Kempom rankings, they're seventh. They'd be seventh highest ranked team in the MAC, but they're not that far behind Mount St. Mary's and Quinnipiac. So, fifth to seventh, like this year's team, probably if you were to project it, fifth to seventh in the MAC next year by by rating, uh, which isn't bad. And that doesn't, of course, that, that's this year. It doesn't consider any losses or additions to the portal next year. Uh, it also doesn't consider Malik Edmead, who will be eligible to play next year. So, uh, that that'll be a big addition too, and we'll fill in for. Probably, I mean, you kind of he'll have he'll probably play more minutes and be more of a threat offensively, but probably takes McCoy's spot as far as like just a, a swap out standpoint. You know, you're gonna have one guard leave and then Ed Mead kind of fills in there. Yeah, I, I, I would I would kind of say different role, but like at least in terms of roster spot. Yeah, you're you're gonna get a guy coming in and obviously he's been around. He was with the program a couple of years ago, made the transfer, and then you know decided, hey, I want to want to flip back here. Um, so it's one of those things, right? You're gonna you're gonna be looking at McCoy. He's a grad student, so he's gone anyways. Um, 
Yeah, and so it, the grad students, you know, are gone. O'Connell and Diallo both gone. So they could either bring in some size as freshmen, or they could also look to the portal again to try to replace those guys. Yeah, I mean, the portal is essentially free agency for college athletics as a whole. And yeah, you know, I think they go to the is, portal for size. Yeah, it, it would certainly make sense. And I mean, when you're you're making the move from one conference to another, anyways, and you know, certainly the MAC is a little bit higher caliber of a conference as a whole so it, it might be a little bit easier to turn around and maybe find a guy with some with some size you know six seven six eight kind of give again kind of fill that role in the middle i mean diallo's been good he's been able to effectively move the ball as well i i, I thought he was good but um on the glass was really where he stood out he had six rebounds and um nine points on Sunday. So it was, it, it was a good performance from him. And I, I definitely think that he's going to be a piece as well, right behind Jordan Durkak here with this team moving forward. I, I think it's going to be easier for them to get size out of the portal only because like when these guys are 16, 17, 18 years old as, as seniors in high school, the guys that are six, seven, six, eight, six, nine, six, eleven, whatever it is, seven feet, they're all getting attention from, all the bigger schools because they're huge and everybody needs size. So I think it's really hard and will be really hard, even in the Mac for them to get size as freshmen. But as they have now proven here is those guys go to wherever they go at first. And then all of a sudden they have a grad year or they have their senior year uh, and they start to look around in the portal and go, Hey, maybe, you know what? I was recruited by this school who recruited me for the fact that I have a high ceiling because of I'm six eleven, but I'm not really playing. I'm not really getting the minutes I want to play. So I'm going to go into the portal and find a program where I will play. And at, you know, you may have a chance to play at Merrimack. So uh, that's what you know I think happened with a, a couple of the guys this year. So I, I feel like guards they'll probably be, and it seems like they're going to be aggressive in recruiting guards um, and athletic guards, particularly ones that are good defensively. And then size may be something, and this is just a guess. I haven't talked to anybody about this, but I, I, my guess is that size will be something they continue to look at in the portal because I think they'll have. I just think they'll have more success getting those guys out of the portal than they will recruiting them as freshmen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when when you're looking when you're looking at guards, right? Specifically, the way Joe wants to run things defensively, he wants guards that are going to be able to almost think a pass or two ahead and. We we've seen the ability of guys like Jordan Durkak to come in. Um, obviously, we've we've already mentioned a guy in Malik Edmead. He's been here. He knows what's expected. It's not like he's stepping into, you know, or back onto the roster next year, back into playing time. And it's like, okay, well, what are we going to get from him? You know, how how is he going to adjust and fill into a role here where it's you're you're looking at it from his standard of, well, okay, I know what I know what is going on on a day-to-day basis. I know how we want to run things and it gives him a little bit more confidence. And when you get guys that come in and can instantly fit into the puzzle and give you a much clearer picture, it makes your job easier to sell your program as a whole. Uh, moving on. Hockey's got a big weekend too. They're facing UMass back in a league play. It's all league play from here on out. Uh, and it's a gauntlet. It is, as we talked about a week ago. Uh, although not every game is a, is against teams ahead of them in the pairwise now because Vermont did drop down uh, behind them. So every every game but two is is going to be against teams ahead of them in the pairwise, which is a good opportunity to move up. Uh, they'll have UMass this weekend for a home and home on the road Friday, at home on Saturday. Uh, things are starting to 
pick up a little bit as we talked about last week. I mean, no games between from the from the last time we talked to now, so nothing to look kind of look back and react to. But uh, overall, I mean, some of the stuff we talked about last week, I think, still stands. Zach, I think, will be the guy for now in net. Uh, Hugo is back. He he was practicing this week. He was taking pucks. So I think if he needs to go in there, he's ready to. Uh, my guess is that Zach will start on Friday at UMass and then Saturday's goaltender will be determined on how that goes. <laughs> if Zach plays really well, he probably plays Saturday at home again as well. If, uh, if, if it's not a great game, I think Hugo gets in on Saturday because I think he is ready to go. So that, that will be something to watch this weekend because uh, I talked to Scott Bork earlier today. He said, you know, look, we may end up in a situation where they get back into a rotation but he's not married to that idea. You know, it's going to be who do we think gives us a better chance to win that game on that night? That's who. That's who's going to play. Yeah, he's kind of talked to us about that before, right? And he's brought it up. You know, when we talk after games, and he did. He brought it up he, earlier in the year, and then it ended up the way it worked is it still was a rotation. But I, I think yeah, that exactly because of how they played. You know, it wasn't like that was the plan. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think it was one of those things where. All right, well, we're just going to go into it. We know we have a split. We're going to play guy A one night, guy B the next night. And, you know, if we need to, we can flip-flop, start guy B on Friday night and start guy A on Saturday night, that type of deal. Um, but it's it's crunch time now. And the way that this schedule shapes up, and Scott's absolutely right. You want to put a guy in the net that's going to give you your best opportunity to turn around and win you a hockey game night in and night out. And we also mentioned it beforehand leading into last week's episode um, about the goaltending gauntlet that they're going to be facing coming at them the next couple of weeks. I mean, you got a couple world goaltender. Yeah, I got a <laughs> goaltender in Michael Harabal with UMass who just took part in the World Junior Championships, lost in the bronze medal game to, uh, or excuse me, they beat, I'm sorry, they, they won the bronze medal uh, beating the Finns. Um, Epic comeback in that one. I don't know if you were able to catch any of that. That was a that was a crazy finish to that one. Um, and then the next week, you got to figure at least one of the games, if not both, you're going to face a goaltender that was a part of a gold medal winning team with USA in in uh, Fowler with BC. So yeah, he's played every minute got, for them. So I, I yeah, would you expect got you got strong goaltending coming at you too. So you want to respond and give you the best opportunity you can to win a hockey game each and every night, every time you step out on the ice. And ride the hot hand. That's all it is. Yep. Whoever's whoever's playing well, whoever's giving you the best opportunity to win games, keep keep them in there. Keep plugging them in. And you know, if you got to change it up, change it up, and just take it day by day. I guess essentially, right? I, I think that's what you got to do at this point. I know we talked about it last week too, but I, I think you got to go with whoever's the hot hand. And I know there's a nine day break between games here, but Zach was the hot hand coming out of the first three. Come in the second half. So I think I think you got to go with him on Friday. That's what I would expect to see. Uh, also, the special teams has been really good in the second half, too. I was looking at that earlier today. Power play, three for seven. Haven't had a lot of chances in the power play. I mean, they're like two a game, basically. Only had one against Holy Cross. And yeah, in. I was going to say, it was just that one against Holy Cross. Yeah, so they, they had, they've had seven so far in the second half. They're three for seven. Four of them were in the Brown game. They went two for four against Brown. So uh, only three power play chances in the last two games. Uh, a little lopsided too, because they've had to kill off some majors in there as well. But uh, yeah, in the in the penalty kill, penalty kill has been perfect going back to December first. They they haven't allowed a power play goal since November, I believe. Or no, December first may have been 
that BU game, I think, is yeah, BU had three power play. That was the night BU went three for seven. So yep. uh they December first was the last time they allowed a power play goal. And granted there was a break in there for the semester, but uh I think they're like thirteen for their last thirteen or something like that. So uh both sets of special teams playing well, which I think as you get into these games in the second half is going to be really important because most of these games at five on five, I think you're going to see end up being pretty close. You know, it's, I think a lot of these games could be a situation where it's one to one in terms of five on five play or, or two to one five on five play and whoever wins a special teams battle wins the game, especially in conference play with, the number of coaches that are in the league now that have been there for a while. Scott's been here for a while. They all know each other. They all know the way that everybody plays. That margin seems to shrink more and more, as we saw last night, between Northeastern and BU. So like, I I don't think that there's going to be a lot of lopsided scores in the second half for any team, which makes special teams even more important. Yeah, and we we tend to kind of see that trend anyways, right, going forward, especially once you get into the second half of the year. Not that you want to always put the onus on officials, but like they realize, hey, we don't want to be the ones that step in and you know decide how this game plays out or decide how this team season plays out. So, well, the ones the ones that did the Holy Cross game, I think, wanted to. That was well, one that, of that 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 was well, also Atlantic hockey refs, right? No? True, it was. I thought that that I I have not written or complained much about the officiating this year. I'm usually I, I've been better, uh, but. That game against Holy Cross was honestly one of the worst officiated games I've seen all year, and not just with Merrimack games of any game. Like it was, yeah. The, Bru- the Bruins and Coyotes game gave you a bad. run for your money last night too. Yeah, that wasn't great either. <laughs> that wasn't there, great there, either. There were there were some uh, big time question marks on uh, on different plays and and whatnot in that in that game last night. But yeah. uh, but no, special teams is it, special teams can win and lose you games. We've we hear coaches say that all the time. You know, we just we just weren't good enough tonight in the special teams battle. Um, you know, we could have used the we could have used a save here. We could have used a kill there. We could have used a power play goal there to maybe stem the tide and and trim a two goal deficit down to a one goal deficit. You know, late in a period, and instead of chasing two goals, you're you're only chasing one, but you you don't get that necessary goal, and all of a sudden, you know, you're looking to build a little bit momentum swinging back your way you're, you're unable to do it and you know next thing you know you give up another goal and all of a sudden you're down three and it, it just becomes a nightmare yeah uh and we'll see what happens moving forward with them because they're they have a good opportunity here they really do like we said with the with the schedule being as tough as it is uh they i, I haven't you know you, these numbers aren't perfect because there's so many results that can happen around the country but uh it it really looks like if they go 500 the rest of the way in the league and be in our 500 overall at the end of the regular season, I don't think they'd be in an NCAA tournament spot, but I think they'd be close because, you know, they're already, it's not like they're 40th in the pairwise right now at 500. The league has been so good. They're in the top 30. So if you go 500 the rest of the way, they're, they're currently sitting 27. So if you go 500 the rest of the way, for the most part, all against teams that are only in front of you. You know, BC's way up there. They're way in front of you. They're, they're number three. Providence is number nine. UNH is number 11. UMass, who you're seeing this weekend, is number 14. Uh, if you go 500 against those teams, you're probably – look, you're going to go up. 
I don't know how far up because it depends on what what other teams do, obviously. But you know, I, you're gonna you're gonna significantly improve with a win, and you're not gonna you're not gonna drop as much with a loss if you're losing to those teams. So twenty seven to twenty, going five hundred the rest of the way, depending upon what happens with some other teams, I think is absolutely a possibility. And now you're right in the bubble. You know, again, you're not gonna be in a position. To, to be in a tournament spot, but if you're going into the playoffs, into that first round in the top 20, now you got to look at it and go, okay, well, depending on who you play, a win in the first round or quarterfinals, which, whichever you're in, uh, then a win in the semifinals, you, you could be looking at it going, you know what, two, three wins in the playoffs, maybe that's enough. They may actually be in a position this year, as crazy as it is to say it, because they're, they're, League, their league record is below 500. So they may actually benefit from not getting a buy because the league is so good. Like that extra win by having to play in the first round from a pairwise standpoint may benefit them considerably. <laughs> we don't know. Like stuff can change between now and the end of the year, but it's, it's just one of those possibilities to keep an eye on where they could be a 500 team and be in the top 20 or really close to it. So then we'd be looking at it, you know, in March going, hey, do you really want the buy or do, from a pairwise standpoint, is it better from a league playoff standpoint? Obviously, it's better to have the buy. And I'm sure they're going to want the buy. They want to win the hockey's championship. But I, what I'm saying is if the consolation prize is you get a home game in the first round and you're the sixth seed, might not be the end of the world. Like it might actually help them from a pairwise standpoint, assuming they win that game because they may need that extra win. Yeah, I was just going to say from a value a value standpoint, right? You look at it. So say, right, the, the situation you just brought up, they're the sixth seed, right? And all of a sudden, turn around, first first game of the, the playoffs, you find yourself hosting the quarterfinal round, and you have, or the opening round, I should say, right? Let me put it this you way: have, six better than five. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely, six is better yeah, than five. Yeah, because you again, you have that extra chance to go out and win. And say you match up with a team like UMass Lowell, right? UMass Lowell down towards the bottom portion of the standings right now, or even a team at Northeastern. They're playing better, but that slow start could come back and haunt them as, as the stretch carries out here. But you get into a situation, right? You're playing a team in Northeastern or a team in UMass Lowell who's had had a little bit of a better second half of the year than they did the first. They've They've kept their head above water. You get another chance to go out and win. You win in regulation, you know, or you just win in general. It's going to bring up your pairwise rank. You're going to move up points wise there. And it's another win that the committee can turn around and go, okay, well, you know, they didn't secure a first round buy, but they went out and they took care of business. And, you know, then they won their quarterfinal matchup and they got to the semis, but came up in overtime and lost three to two in overtime, you know, it, it's a chance to improve your standing, but you got, you got to take care of the tasks at hand each and every week, the rest of the way out. And I mean, we, we can only say it so many times before it sounds like we're just a broken record or we're beating a dead horse here, but the number of teams on their schedule, the rest of the way out that are currently in or would be in the national tournament. If it started today is mind boggling. And that's what I like about the pairwise too, is like, you're not going to have a college football playoff situation. It's going to be very cut and dry. If they're in Thanks the top for bringing 15, up that wound. Well, I know 
if they're in the top 15, they're in the tournament. Like there is no decision to be made. There's no backroom, anything like it's the yeah. numbers are what the numbers are. So the reason that's why I think that's why I said from a pairwise perspective, six is better than five. And it's not look from a hockey's tournament standpoint. It's not, you want the buy, but from a, from strictly a pairwise perspective and nothing else, it may be beneficial for them to play in the first round and get a win and boost their RPI, which is going to boost them in the pairwise. That and then have to play a quarterfinals a game on the road anyway. That's probably a better situation than winning or than, than getting a bye, being the five seed and having to go on the road in the quarterfinal without the opportunity to get that extra win. Because, look, they're going to be chasing it. So they're going to need as many wins as they can. If you're, like, if you're in the top 10 of the pairwise, get the bye. But a team like in, in a position that Merrimack could find themselves in where they need as many wins as possible for, for their RPI and their pairwise, that finishing sixth rather than finishing fifth may be beneficial. As crazy as that sounds, because it's not going to be a scenario that plays out every year. But this year with this team, considering where I think they'll be if they go about 500, which would probably also get them around that fifth, sixth seed in the in the league tournament. From a pairwise standpoint, finishing six isn't the end of the world. <laughs> you know, it, it's easier to win Hockey East as the five seed, but finishing six is not the end of the world. Also, I think it's going to be nuts. I think the playoffs this year are going to be crazy because everybody is so close. And with now the fact that everything's one and done, I think you could see, you could very well see some crazy results in in the hockey's tournament. Because I think we say it every year, but this year I actually mean it. Anyone can beat anyone on any given night in this league, and that's what it looks like this year. Yep. I mean, we we saw it on Tuesday night, or almost saw it on Tuesday yeah. night. I mean, a northeastern team that had struggled through the first half of the year. Again, they've started to play better hockey. They went on the road and they took a BU team to overtime. Granted, you know it was BU's first game. I mean, they had an exhibition against Simon Fraser and whatnot just a few days beforehand playing Northeastern. You know, so it anybody can beat anybody on any given night, and I think we're going to see a lot of that come the second half of the year. Yeah, people say it every year. Coaches say it every year, but usually it's like no, the last. Two or three teams in the league kind of stink. Yeah. Like that's usually how it is. You know, Vermont's been in that spot the last couple of years. Maine's been in that spot. I mean, heck, Merrimack was in that spot when Scott Boyle yeah. was caught here. Like yep. other coaches would say anybody could beat anybody, but it's like uh, the Merrimack's in last, and that's where they should be. Yep. <laughs> you know, everybody kind of goes through that. Everyone, well, not everybody, but you know, most teams go through cycles like that, and the league always has a couple, but doesn't seem like it's that way this year. So yeah. uh Ian, where else can people find you? Uh, on Twitter at Ian Bo on TikTok, uh, PA guy, Bo put up my, uh, most recent starting fives for the men's basketball game I had on Saturday, uh, against sacred heart. Uh, you can find me there and, uh, right here on this very podcast. And I'm sure people can hear you on Saturday. Yes. They will uh, they'll also be able to hear me on Friday night too. When the women are home for the first time in oh, forever. <laughs> so yeah, I, I have, I have they a double been header. It's like November. November, right after right after Thanksgiving was the last time that they were home. Crazy. Um, but also, real quickly, Mike, before here uh, before we sign off here, just want to tip the cap to the uh, good old boys of the U.S. of A. Uh, yes. Bringing home a World Junior Gold. And uh, sorry to Hugo if Hugo's tuned in um, to break the Swedes' hearts on home ice. Um, but 
it's always great when you see uh Canada finish well behind us in the uh in the in the standings. And it sets up for a great pool next year. USA Canada on New Year's Eve up in Ottawa. Good. USA and Canada will be in the same pool. So that, I like good. that. I like the fact that that's on New Year's Eve. That's happened a couple times now. Those games And then the following are... year comes back stateside going yes. out to Minnesota. Yes. I think they well, the U.S. has it again in twenty-eight or thirty as well. I think it something is. like that. Well, uh, real uh, really quickly, uh, do you think we ever get it here locally in Massachusetts? No. No. Why is that? Because the attendance when they had it in '96 was terrible. Really, you don't think you don't even think now? Some thirty I, years later, I think it would be better now. I think that USA Hockey would probably not do it, but I hope I'm wrong. I mean, they put it like in Buffalo, right? So yeah, that's where I'll be. Anyways. Congrats to the U.S. of A. Always great singing the national anthem last, and it's awesome. All right, Ian, thanks for joining us as always. Quick break, quick timeout. We'll be back with Scott Bork in just a minute. Sage, what about this stick? I like the orange in it. No, Mom, what is this? This stick is so dusty, there's no more Geno's left in it. I can take it from here, Mom. What kind of tweet are we looking for here, bud? Just a stick so I could toss sauce Chef Boyardee style. Something more apples versus buckets. Yeah, as long as I could still snipe Bar South and Sally. All right, I got the perfect twig for you. It's going to be this stick here, mid-flex point stick, completely accurate for buy down every time. This is awesome. I love it. TSR Hockey. We speak your language. All right, here with Merrimack Coach Scott Borg, getting ready for a weekend series against UMass. Uh, Coach, how was the week? Uh, it's been a good week. We had a, a good week of practice. I think uh, getting back into the league is a good thing for us, and we know there's just nothing but opportunities in front of us, and we have to play our game and be, play at our best level to be successful, obviously. But uh, I think we had a good week that you know pushed us in that direction. So we got a little break after the three games that we played non-league in five days. Uh, it was great to get three W's and now just to move on and, and get after it within in our league, which obviously almost every game we're going to play is going to be against a top 20 team. That's good for us in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, I was looking at it actually last week just from like a pairwise standpoint. Uh, I think they dipped behind you now because they lost to Dartmouth over the weekend. Vermont did. But uh, at one point going into last weekend, every opponent on your schedule the rest of the way was ahead of you. And it's not like, you know, you guys aren't, you know, buried far, far, you know, far down the pair are still in the top half of the country, but it kind of shows how good hockey East has been this year. Obviously there's a bunch of teams that are in like the top 15, but uh, you know, at, at one point, I think almost every team, I think with the exception of one was in like the top 26, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a, it's a great league right now. And, and it's been a lot of success out of the league, obviously, which has driven that up. But uh, the good news is, as you head into your second-half schedule, it gives you an opportunity because every game you play is an opportunity to, to grow your resume moving forward. Uh, you guys had the, the really kind of jammed in games last week with three and five days. Uh, Nen had a break, you know, a 10-day break or nine-day break before you'll see UMass this weekend. Uh, given the fact that you had so many games crammed into a short window, was the break, I mean, you're just coming off of a break, but was, was that little bit of an extra break needed there where, where you had so many games crammed into a short window? Oh, for sure. I, I think uh, we were pretty beaten up coming out of those three games just because it was so much hockey so quickly. But, you know, that was really by design. We wanted to start our second half last year. We struggled out of the gate. Uh, felt that by putting those games like that, at, at the coming out of break would put a new, uh, kind of a renewed emphasis on what guys were doing over break. 
know, getting ready, getting focused. And when we got back from break, you know, practicing, we had to get right into it because we had a game in, you know, three days. So I think that uh, because we were successful, that, that will prove to be a good stretch for us. But getting a break after that was really important. And I think we're rested and back and ready to go. Uh, obviously, you know, we keep asking you about health, unfortunately, every week. But uh, Hugo hasn't seen action yet. I know Zach's played really well. But what's kind of Hugo's status heading into the weekend? And then also, Mac Welcher went down uh, in that game against Holy Cross. Any news on, on his status? Yeah, Hugo is back and, and competing and, and has looked good the last few days. And, you know, it took him a while. He really got beaten up by his sickness. And now, uh, you know, the good news is Bush got on a little bit of a run and it'll be fun to see him and moving forward. Uh, you know, hopefully he can keep that rolling. And, you know, now that Hugo's healthy, they'll be competing for that each, each night. We certainly are not going to be in a uh, rotation for a little bit. Maybe they'll put us back into that. But right now it's, you know, who can help us tonight. Um, and then Mac, I think Mac will... Mac is not available to us right now, but I think he will eventually be back. Originally, we thought it might be long-term, but I, I'm hoping that he'll be able to get back on the ice next week or the week after and he come back and help us. He's obviously a real driver for us, so he's a very important player to get back into the lineup. Yeah, what are the things you're going to miss the most with him out of there? Obviously, it's he's been able to provide some offense, but it, you know, it seems like his, I'm sure his leadership, but also his game away from the puck is, is what really seems to lead the way with him. Yeah, and Mac can play. He can play with anyone. Uh, he, whoever he plays with, he pushes because he plays with great pace. He hunts pucks. Uh, he's great on the bench, you know, as a leader, as you've mentioned. Um, but we're really going to miss him. Like he's the first guy over the wall on the penalty kill. Uh, that's a big thing. Obviously, he was playing on the power play as well. Um, whatever line he's on, I usually feel very comfortable playing just because he's such a driver that you know, he pushes their game and it makes makes them stronger in the defensive zone and. He can produce offense as well. Uh, looking at UMass, obviously they they had a really good first half of the year. Uh, looking at some film on them, what have you seen from UMass? What are you expecting this weekend? What what part of of your game has to be at its best to to compete against these guys? Well, they're very very physical. They're very heavy uh, on pucks. Um, you know, I think that they you know a year ago, I, and I don't know if Greg would say this, but I think that they played a little bit more transitionally. Uh, than they are right now. Now they're really forechecking very hard and, you know, playing a lot like Maine, you know, to be honest with you. Um, so it will be a tough, tough matchup for us just because of how heavy they are. But that's an area of our game that we need to improve in. So we will uh, either live by the sword or die by the sword this weekend. We, if we aren't better at that, we're going to be chasing the game a little bit. But if we're where I think we can get to in that part of our game, uh, it should be a heck of a weekend. Uh, I think you get the one, you know, Sunday game coming up against BC in a couple of weeks, and then a, a Thursday night down in Providence, all the way at the end of February. But now that you're back in the league play, does it help that you've got a little bit more of a set schedule? I mean, the first half of the year, some weeknight games, uh, you know, a couple of Thursdays, a Wednesday, a Tuesday. Now it's kind of set in that Friday, Saturday, typical rotation for for the next, you know, almost right through the end of the season, like, with the exception of one Sunday game at BC and a and a Thursday game uh, down at Providence. But uh, does that make it easier to prepare for a week where you kind of know, hey, we're going to have Monday to Thursday, you know, from a practice standpoint, and uh, just it keeps things a little more maybe in a, in a set schedule uh, as opposed to what you had in the first half with some different weeks? A hundred percent. You know, the other thing it also allows us to do is it allows us to train, uh, get in the weight room, and, and do things that you need to do away from the rank to get prepared. Uh, which really is difficult when you're playing all through the weeks. 
So you can't really get a set schedule. But I think, you know, this will be good. You know, and, and, I, and I don't mind. The team doesn't mind Thursday, Sunday games. That's, that's almost Friday, Saturday. And it's just you're usually the only game of the night or one of two. And, um, you know, opportunity to get on TV and such. And I, I think it will be a good second half for us schedule-wise. Um, and the Thursday at Providence and the Sunday at BC, um, those should be very good games, too. They'll both be obviously incredibly important. Obviously, then, too, looking at this UMass weekend on the road on, on Friday, uh, even with guys on break, although I think break may be ending pretty soon here, uh, is it a situation where you'll travel down there the night before to kind of uh, – traveling to Amherst on a Friday can be difficult. So uh, I, I, is that a situation where you'll try to – you guys will get down there on Thursday to make sure you, you have a, maybe more of a normal travel experience and not have to worry about traveling on Friday? Yes, for sure, you know. You, as you know, Route 2 on a Friday can be absolutely hellacious. Um, you know, it will be an easy trip down on Thursday. But, you know, we've we've done it both ways. Um, I don't think we've ever been successful coming down here on a Friday just because it takes you almost three and a half hours. And it's not the easy kind of three and a half hours either, right? You're in traffic. It's stop and go. And it's a, it's a tough trip that, on that day. But uh, we'll go on Thursday after practice, after we eat a meal. And that's an easier drive and easier to get down there and get settled and and go from there. So, no, it will be much easier on Thursday for sure. Yeah, I would, I would imagine it would be. Uh, how much do you think the conf- – has you, have you seen maybe some added confidence from the group having won these three straight games coming out of the break? Uh, you know, considering the way you guys went into the break, I know nobody was feeling good going into the break the way you guys did, but coming out in – even though it wasn't always easy, getting these three wins in a row, I would imagine, makes the mood a little bit more positive, you know, around the, around the rink. Well, you know, you're either finding finding a way to win or finding a way to lose, right? And and in all three of those games, there were points in them when, you know, maybe we weren't playing great, and in the first half we might have found a way to lose those games, um, but we didn't. And you know, found a way to win all three of them, uh, and I think that is it's a big thing. No one's asking you at the end of the year when you look at, you look at your record who you played, uh, and right now coming out of three wins, you're, you're on a little bit of a streak. Uh, it's always nice to come to the rink when that's happening. Uh, and that's, you know, so it's, that's lent to a really solid practice week as well. Um, and so I, I feel good about that. I think those, those games actually will serve a real good purpose for us. Uh, and then lastly, what have you seen from your special teams? Uh, penalty kill hasn't allowed a goal since December 1st. It's been over a month. Uh, and then even the power play, since you guys came back from break, scored a couple against Brown, uh, was one for one against Holy Cross. Not a lot of opportunities against Stonehill and Holy Cross, but uh, still that, that unit's come back and is – been three for seven since you since you came back from break and, and the penalty kill has been perfect uh since even before break so what have you seen from those two units well you know the penalty kill has been, been good all year uh dan's done a great job with those guys right from the beginning of the season uh and i think we had a lot of returners on the penalty kill we lost some guys too but we had a lot of returners uh that were used to his language used to his expectations and i think it put us in a good spot and you know, it doesn't matter who you kill against. It matters when you're killing the penalty. And we had a couple of huge kills against Holy Cross in the tie game that I thought was really important uh, and was really good we got that done. Uh, and those kills matter, you know. Uh, and so that, that unit's been in a really good place. And as they go over the wall, I think they have a lot of confidence. It's almost like when they're scored on their surprise, which is great. Uh, and the power play, the same thing. You know, Jimmy's doing that. And uh, he's really giving them some momentum coming out of break. He had a really good break relative to kind of getting them prepared for what we need to do to be more successful. Um, and we have some confidence in power plays. All of, special teams in general is all about confidence and momentum. Uh, it gets you a long way. You know, that, when you have those two things, you usually get the right bounce and 
or the right save or things like that. And so um, I feel good about that area of our game and that we're pushing it forward and hopefully it's going to help us win some more games. On the penalty, penalty kill too, I know I, I think I've asked you this before, but the fact that you guys have so many guys that can play on that unit, like it's a big group, right? It's not just like two units of, of four guys. It's a considerable amount of, of the guys on the bench can play the penalty kill. Does that is that part of the success, just keeping guys fresher and, and maybe not burning guys out, especially in those games where, you know, like Holy Cross, you had to kill five times. You, you're not kind of killing your bench there. No, like in the Holy Cross game, we had the major penalty that, you know, we had to roll over seven or eight guys. So that makes it a lot better uh, to have more players who are able to kill. Um, and But, our, you know, our, our go-to guys are still our go-to guys. And you know, there's probably a group of five of them. And But, you know, I like the way the other guys are growing. And that's an important part, not only for this season, for the future, too. So, um, no, that's it's really important to have multiple guys. And we even have the same thing in the power play right now where, you know, yeah, only 10 guys really get the opportunity to play in a night. Um, but we have more than that that can play in it. So, you know, if someone's tired or someone's coming off, whatever, you can put someone else in there, and that gives that opportunity, that group an opportunity for success as well. It seems like on the power play, too, you guys have gone with, I think, both units. Uh, I don't know how it's shaken up now when, when, when Mac went down, but uh, for a point there, at least when things came out of the break against Brown, I think both units had four forwards, one defenseman. But at that point, I mean, when you're on the power play, especially with the, the D you have with a guy like Bookman, it almost kind of becomes positionless there, doesn't it? It does. It does. And, and, and we have, you know, we have the two units still with the four forwards, but we also have a you know third defenseman practice with them every, every practice. So, um, and I'm very confident in all three of the guys. And I know we have some guys who aren't playing who have played for us in the past. So, I think it's, you know, it's healthy. We just happen to have more forwards that fit into the slot because of the opportunities that we have. But, um, no, I feel really good about our depth on that. Hopefully that will continue to grow moving forward. All right, Coach. Well, best of luck this weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Really appreciate it, Mike. Have a great weekend.